Hey, science fans. One thing we don't get to talk about enough on this show is environmental concerns, ecology, resources, that sort of thing. I wish we we had more on, on this topic on the show. Fortunately, I found a new podcast that I believe you guys will enjoy called Waterline. Waterline podcast is everything related to water, how to make sustainable irrigation, can water bring peace, how do you uh, keep water clean and and safe and how much money does does our current water system cost in the US what changes can we make and how we use water i just listened to a fantastic episode called water in peace hydropolitics it was all about um, the many different conflicts over different regions of water we've drawn all of these arbitrary lines for our kind of political regions and one thing that we didn't really factor in when doing that was water sources so now there's all of these uncomfortable to say the least conflicts uh, where all of these areas overlap over water sources fantastic episode the waterline podcast is an initiative of israel new tech a part of the israeli ministry of economy and industry so check it out for everything you need to know about the economics political social behavioral technological and environmental aspects of water search for waterline podcast on itunes or in your android podcast app all right welcome to the here we are podcast everybody i am shane moss and i will be uh, stand-up comedian shane moss and host of this podcast i will be doing a show on uh, October 12th at The Secret Group in Houston. You can check my website out for that and to also check out I'm going to Australia. Uh, I'm going to Boston September 25th, Melbourne, Australia um, October 19th the 21st and Sydney, Australia October 28th. My guest host this week. Hello, I'm uh, David Bronner. I'm the Cosmic Engagement Officer of Dr. Bronner's and uh, really happy to be here. You have the best title of anyone that <laughs> has ever been on this show, by the way. Cosmic Engagement Officer. Yeah, I promoted uh, my brother, who's my partner in crime here, 5050 at, at, uh, at Bronner's, and promoted him to president, and he knew I didn't want to be CEO, so he promoted me to Cosmic Engagement Officer. <laughs> <laughs> and so today on the podcast, let's see, we talked about, uh, we talked about soap, we talked about the um, surprising and inspiring origins of Dr. Browners, and we talked a bit about psychedelics and about how to make the world a better place. Yeah, right on. So check it out and enjoy. Bam. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. So here I am in the uh, the home base at the uh, Dr. Bronner's factory, uh, I guess. Yeah, headquarters. Headquarters. I So I came here. This is... This was a rather serendipitous thing that happened. I came here to interview Rick Doblin for um, the documentary that I'm making. 
he was here for a board meeting or something like that. Yeah. Told me to come down here. I actually didn't. He just gave me an address, so I didn't even know what I was walking into. And then I walk into this place, and everyone's like, "Hey, Shane!" And everyone knows me because I had been in the uh, the comedy banquet um, at the Maps conference. And I walk through your factory, and so I did about six years of factory work. I worked in a furniture factory. It was actually the best job that I had before uh, being comedian. But I worked in some other smaller factories and stuff. And so I consider myself pretty familiar with factory work. And then I walked through your factory and then I was like, is everyone really happy here? Because that is unlike, it didn't look like any factory workers that I'd seen previously in my life. And I was like, what in the world is going on here? Are they just like making uh joy and dreams in this factory and then i got taken to another uh facility just across the way you have a warehouse that's the secret base right the secret base just for making like burning man things and like pimping out fire trucks and <laughs> yeah our event marketing space and uh i guess uh, technically as far as burning man goes it's just uh, people who happen to work here uh that sponsor or, or help uh, produce the zendo maps camp on playa and uh we, we provide some of our foaming infrastructure and, and fun things like that but we you know as dr browners we never show up as such it's always as uh um people that happen to be work at browners you know bring some of our stuff but we always kind of keep keep browners off the burning man tip just uh, uh ah. part of the ethics of the burn did oh did i just uh no no it's fine it's okay like, yeah, they, blew up your spot no, uh it, it's just so cool what you guys do here yeah right um, on and and there's like it it's a rather <laughs> it's a little bit uh of a trippier workspace than your average <laughs> factory there's wonderful art everywhere and very uh even even your uh it, I remember working in factories and always having like the mission statement on the walls and everything. And even your mission statement has like a very cosmic feel to it and it's set in space. And so I, <laughs> so I wanted, uh, I wanted to hear about the business and what it is that, and, and by the way, I should tell this, this is the first time that we've had just like a company on talking about a company on the podcast so i want to like i'm not being paid to be here or anything like that i just got uh i was very intrigued by this business model and as someone who has been frustrated with past jobs and frustrated with some of the state of i worry about manufacturing and the state of manufacturing in our country and world and it's been inspiring to uh get to know what you do so why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about dr browners yeah and i think maybe addressing uh right away the um you know i think um we're, we're your first company but our corporate name is all in god faith inc and my grandfather dr browner founded the company as a nonprofit religious organization um which the IRS disagreed with the self-designated tax-exempt status. And so uh, my grandfather, after protracted litigation, um, was forced uh, 
to pay huge amounts of back taxes and penalties and was in, we were in bankruptcy and we reorganized as a for-profit company, mm. but we have that nonprofit religious organization DNA mm. at the heart of what we do where the, where the soap and, and the actual profit making venture is totally subservient to the mission. And for my grandfather, that was all about uh, unifying spaceship birth that we're all one, that all faith traditions uh, at their core are saying the same thing. And, um, that we need to realize our transcendent unity across religious and ethnic divides. We're in the next Holocaust in, in a nuclear armed world. We're going to all perish and kill ourselves. And, you know, he himself was a third generation German Jewish soap maker and came over in the late twenties. Not so much at the, uh, the, the Hitler and, and the rise of fascism had was not yet the total disaster that it became, but, um, more just clashing with his dad and uncles on how to run the ship. In, uh, in, in Germany, we, we were, we had three factories. The, the most prominent one was in Heilbronn, a southern German town. Um, and, uh, but, you know, he, he was increasingly desperate to get his family out and he got, his two sisters got out, but his parents, like many bourgeois Jews, thought they would ride the madness out. And it was, it was too late. And the factories Arianized in 1940 and they were deported and killed in 42. Um, but somehow in the midst of all that tragedy and also personally, his wife, um, and my dad's mom and uncle, um, had gotten sick when my dad was like two and was in a mental health hospital and then died. So my dad, my granddad was going through huge amounts of tragedy in, in the, during the World War II era. And somehow in the midst of this was having these mystical insights of unity and love and, and that, and had this peace plan that he felt urgently called on to to go forth and, and, and proselytize. Um, and this is, you know, and then, so in, in this is post-World War II and not 48, uh, you know, 47, he was actually interned against his will. He'd gotten um, on the authorities' radar because someone had crucified themselves for his peace plan, obviously with some help, but my granddad wasn't involved in Chicago. And my granddad had landed in the Chicago, Milwaukee area, which was kind of the heart... He, the heart of anti-Semitic fascism in in the U.S. at the time. That was Father McLaughlin, his, his radio show at the time. He was this Catholic priest who was horribly anti-Semitic and had this massive radio audience. Anyways, my granny got on the authorities' radar and was basically thrown into a, an, a, an insane asylum. Uh, uh, it was literally called the Elgin State Insane Asylum against his will. He In, in 47, he escaped and came to L.A., and um, continued to proselytize about his peace plan. And, um, yeah, I guess I'm kind of rambling here, but... Uh, no, yeah, no, this yeah. is an amazing story. <laughs> yeah. This is, like, this is yeah. why I came here, because I, I just... Yeah. Yeah. So, right. I guess that's right. Okay. So the point of all that, right. Is that like, so he, you know, and he was selling his soap, his family's soap. I mean, we had to make soap the way it's been made for millennia. You know, we make the best soap and he was selling it on the side as he's lecturing in Pershing Square in LA, which is like a real hotbed of activism at the time. And literally on a soapbox, you know, you know, along with a lot of other um, philosophers and activists of all stripes. And people were starting to come more to buy or get the soap he was selling on the side than to stick around and listen to what he had to say. So that's when he had the idea to put what he had to say on the label of our soap. Yeah, and yeah. So and thus was born. And, and this is in the 50s and early 60s. And, you know, then with the rise of the counterculture and the wholesale rejection of the war machine and 
um, and, and, you know, face this corporate America that was, you know, decimating the earth. And, you know, he early on saw the problems of, of rampant consumerism and basing our, our materials and products on petrochemicals. And, um, so the soap with its message of peace and unity, it concentrated, you use it for everything. You wash your dog, your hair, your, your dishes and by the side of the river and not worry about it became the soap of the counterculture. And so basically our Dr. Browner's soap, if you had a health food store and had three products, you know, you had granola, you had Dr. Bronner's and, you know, uh, and, and whatever, you know, maybe uh, some Bragg's bullion. Some, <laughs> but I mean, it just, you know, and then the soap spread through pretty much the health food or the, the, the health and sustainability movement as it just kind of grew over time. But, uh, but always the soap was more about selling the label than the label was about selling the soap. Yeah. 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 I had no idea. Yeah. I just was, uh, I was newly familiar to the product and all that I knew it was a thing that I learned quickly needed to be diluted before being applied to the testicles. Yes. And, and that's a really important thing to know. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's all that I knew about yourself was like at an Airbnb, yeah. like, oh no, I've done something horribly wrong one of one of there's many there's a few different ad campaigns we'll never do but we got you by the balls that's one of them <laughs> and uh come to find out you have this amazing message on uh, right on the label and that's really what you're selling and i think uh, that's that's beautiful it's also it's also beautiful that it happens to be soap i mean we so i have a lot of this is a science podcast typically and we talk a lot about different areas of psychology and there's a lot of connections between um there's there's like this embodied um cognition where a lot of our consciousness is based on um kind of our physical realities and how we create these metaphors for things and there's there's a lot of connections between morality and cleanliness and right. people and people that like yeah feel as if they've done something wrong if you give them an opportunity to like wash their hands or whatever uh they kind of get a fresh start yeah 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 no metaphorically it's for sure it's that ritual cleansing and purification and you know my granddad you know he's an intuitive genius really i mean if you got something to say you know connecting with people in their rich bathing ritual when they're getting naked and kind of the most kind of private Best Space. thoughts in the yeah. shower too. Yeah, right, right on, man. Yeah, that reverie—you're just connecting. You're like, whoa, what's it? Or you just—you're on the toilet and you forgot something to read. <laughs> you know, he's got gotcha, <laughs> you. Know? So, uh, so, uh, so what? What are the? Uh, let's let's break down the. I, I, again, I'm surprised that I'm even doing this because I never thought I'd be coming to a company and be like so what's your mission statement <laughs> because i believe it because most yeah. mission statements are uh in my opinion a bunch of hot air right um, but <laughs> and and i do believe that's the reality of of many companies where it's it's uh just a selfish selfish manipulation of employees and customers yeah. usually for in many cases and but you have uh you've sold me on yours you've you've very much convinced me i've i've read through some of the literature and the as people just got to hear some of the history but um can you talk a little bit about the six kind of pillars yeah, you might need to remind me. Sure, I forgot sure, about it. Sure. 
<laughs> Number yeah, one yeah. is work hard and grow. Yeah. But, it, so, so by the way, anyone that wants to know more, and the reason why I think that this is important is just because I wish that more businesses took this model, and I believe that the our current yeah. model, the way that we're doing business, is not sustainable, and I think that... Uh, People are getting right. frustrated, and uh, I, I just don't think it's working. And I think things are collapsing, um, mostly because of a lot of a lot of flawed business models. So, so number one is, uh, yeah, work hard, grow, and yeah, I mean, what, what, uh, I'll read them. I guess they'll work hard, grow, <laughs> yeah, do, do right by customers, treat employees like family, be fair to suppliers, treat the earth like home, and fund and fight for what's right. Um, I mean, altogether, it's basically looking at business as, um, you know, as a pro-social organism for progressive change and that when we produce products and consume them, that they can either be exploitative and, you know, and, and unsustainable and, and exploitive of the labor and disrespectful of the human beings that produce them, or they can respect and improve the livelihoods of all involved and, you know, make the earth better. Um, so for us, like, you know, like, like most products, ours are, you know, they're either, they're going to be a synthetic petroleum source or they're going to be an agricultural source. And then if they're agricultural is like, was that agricultural system they were produced within, was that sustainable or was it like, uh, you know, dependent on synthetic pesticides and fertilizers that are destroying soil and, you know, sending huge amounts of, um, soil organic matter, uh, uh, up in the atmosphere, which is the you know the second leading source of greenhouse gas emissions is, is agriculture in our food system. Um, you know, is it a, you know exploiting farmers or is it respecting them and giving them a fair deal such that you know they can uh, make ends meet, send their kids to the school, and you know just live in a righteous fashion? And you know, you know, we've been inspired by other other companies such as Guayaki and, and Equal Exchange that really pioneered this fair trade model, where you actually understand and know who your farming communities are. Like, you don't just buy from brokers, you don't just buy from the the cheapest available, and, and you don't care. You'll you know just kind of pit farmers from one area of the world against the other, and just you know kind of in a race to the bottom. Instead, you form like long term relationships. You understand where you're, who's producing your coconut oil or your palm oil or your olive oil. And you negotiate a fair, transparent contract based on, you know, real costs of production. And, um, so anyway, so like basically our, our soap, like all our materials, uh, you know, the farming, the, the processing, every step of the chain, we make sure is fair and sustainable. So that, you know, like when you purchase our soap, you know that everyone involved, you know, from the growing of the coconuts to the end processing, um, was treated fairly, got a good deal. Like basically, unlike, you know, unfortunately way too many other products, uh, in our space, um, that are, you know, synthetic and harmful and, you know, not produced in any fashion that is, uh, kind to, to the people who are making them. Um, you know, you, you can choose products that are certified fair trade and organic that you can trust that hey, everyone who's touching this and is involved in this is getting a fair deal. And that's like really important. So, you know, initially we just kind of focused on our headquarters here in our factory and, and it's, and it's key, of course, for us in our main processing facility to make sure we have fair wages and we do. And that's one of our pillars is we pay well. 
we cap all our executive salaries at five to one. That, yeah, that is insane. There, in a lot of companies these days, it's like three hundred to one or yeah, something not, insane. I, I think wasn't it fifty years ago? Something the average was like thirty to one or something. And now yeah, it's, it's getting out of control, man. And the, the income inequality. I mean, that's it's a, such a disaster. And um, you know, leading. You know, I, I mean, our society is um, unfortunately there's forces that are you know going taking us in the wrong direction. But um, I think that you know ourselves and, and companies like us are modeling business practices where you know I, i'm making five times more than our lowest paid rest position you know i'm doing great you know i mean what, what you know what more do i need and and you know like our grandfather you know all our profits that are not needed for the business are you know we sock into the causes we believe in so you know in addition to and, and i guess the point on you know we treat our employees fairly but that our real impact or in, in terms of numbers of people is really in our supply chains in that it's like companies need to take responsibility also for their supply chains which is where a lot of the impact as far as numbers of people and land are impacted and you know it's great if you got low flush toilets and, and you're recycling and and you're paying good wages in your head office but it's you know you got to take responsibility for your whole supply chain there's so much incentive to not care about the supply chain though in the short term i, I how do you how do you convince businesses to do that i mean it, it sounds it's working for you you have these long-term relationships that are sustainable and i'm sure that the people that you work with probably work harder and appreciate it and and then in turn don't try to screw you over because you might be screwing them over at any moment and so I can see all sorts of long-term uh, benefits that like sound good in theory, but it, but when when someone's just looking at the numbers and trying to uh, trying to make the most amount of profit this quarter, how do you how do you make the argument to the companies? Yeah, that- uh, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's all about um, connecting with consumers in, who are increasingly you know, want to consume products that haven't gone to hell and back, you know, they, they do care. And this, you know, the millennials, I guess, demographically by percentage are, you know, the, you know, the most. And, um, and so I think it's, you know, the business case is that, um, that like, while your costs will increase slightly, not nearly as much as people think, but, you know, when you pay, like, you know, there's pretty much for any given sector or product class, there's like the high bar and the low bar players. And you can, in, in, for instance, Walmart and Sam's Club versus Costco, right? Identical business models as far as like delivering price crushing retail to consumers, but Costco pays really well. You know, it's like their, their guys are making, you know, 18, 20 bucks an hour on average. Um, you know, great benefits, very low turnover and they're delivering that price crushing retail. And, um, I think like that kind of happen. You can always pretty much identify like the low and high bar. Um, and it's all about just like you, you, and, and those low bar employers, you know, like, especially like the Walmarts, you know, they're basically set up to take advantage of the welfare state. I mean, they're, they're set up, like they're paying substandard wages, forcing their employees basically to get food stamps and public housing assistance. And their whole business model is predicated on government assistance and they're unethical, you know, and we need to raise the, you know, the minimum wage and, 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 um, you know, basically like employers like us are just doing what sh- everyone should be doing. And the only reason other employees get away with it is in a sense, the, you know, the fact that our government fills it in, right. you know, and there's like this disguised corporate welfare, basically right. that these employers are taking advantage of. No. 
So, uh, I put you in charge of the world. What are you gonna? What are you? Not the world, the country. How about <laughs> that's uh, as as an advisor? So, so you're now an advisor on uh, rather than oh, yeah. having a ridiculous presidency or whatever. There's some sort of a board that is guiding our country. What what kind of uh, what kind of changes? What do you put well, maybe get, you know, pivoting here to I think our, one of our shared passions. Um, I often think that everyone in a policy decision making role would benefit greatly from, let's say, a quarterly deep dive with intentional use of a psychedelic ally of their choice. <laughs> would you know really reflect deeply on themselves and the decisions they're making and how they're best serving, uh, yeah. you know, humanity and that, that, yeah. I'm so happy you said that. Yeah. I, I wasn't. I wasn't ever going to say that. You know, yeah. it's. It's. I'm. I'm so happy to hear people that are, as as someone who's gone overboard with psychedelics, um, and deeply aware that there's more reasonable ways of doing psychedelics than how I have. Um, but to see even people, I was reading uh, the book Tools for the Titans, and and uh, Tim Ferriss is this, you know, guy who has made all these investments and, you know, has, has, is in shape and, you know, seemingly, at least if you're a certain type of person is, is seemingly doing everything right. And he's someone that has, there's a whole page on like, here's what I do. I microdose LSD twice a week. And then I do mushrooms, uh, once every two months. And then I do ayahuasca once a year. And, and like, this is, this is just, uh, as important as like the page on doing yoga every yeah. day. Well, and that's a great um, point because just on the yoga and the meditation, like like that, the psychedelics are you know hugely important and need to be more appreciated and embraced. Mm -hmm. But that you know, in and of themselves, they should be accompanied by a more you know other kinds of practices of you know discipline and, and investigation and med I mean, Albert Hoffman himself always saw LSD and, and meditation going hand in hand. You know, that said, I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't want to be too prescriptive, but right. definitely that, you know, and I think in today's busy world, right. That, and that's awesome that Tim Ferriss is, is saying that because, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's time that these healing medicines come out of the closet and heal the world. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, how did you first stumble upon those, revelations oh well i guess college you know some of my first big experiences um and you know i was um yeah, i was a biology major at the time not particularly academically inclined and mostly it was i thought oh i should be a doctor and took a bunch of science freshman year and then was like oh i don't want to be a doctor and like what major has the least more things requirements you know after yeah. taking all these science classes, i was like oh biology but, you know, it's, it was, you know, pretty interesting, but it was also pretty, like, insofar as, like, human consciousness or was addressed, it was just like, a, you know, another adaptive trait or intelligence is an adaptive trait, like, you know, anything, any other yeah. adaptive trait. And, you know, and I was like, okay, well, on one level, sure, you know, that, of course, that makes sense. And, but it was also like real tiny way of approaching the whole subject. And, you know, I'd rejected my Christian faith, I guess, when I was 13 and, on its terms of, you know, if God so loved the son, the world, you know, why would he send his one only son to this one spot on earth? You know, like what about everywhere else and the Chinese and stuff? And, right. you know, and, and then, you know, what about other planets? You know, that kind of thing. But, 
so but then the scientific materialism and like that was kind of like not you know that was like starting to not make the most sense on, on as far as the deeper more fundamental questions yeah and, this is i mean i yeah. i have a science podcast and i go around and get all of these different people from all these different fields and there's limitations to every single one of them yeah in in and, and i remember i took mushrooms and and i remember but like just tripping on what you're learning in a scientific context right mm-hmm. and and just like you know, well, what does it mean that myself is in a quantum continuum with my world, you know? Yeah. And then all of a sudden myself, like, whoa, I'm not different from this world. The world's pouring into me and poop, you know, eating poop in. I'm just in one a river <laughs> with the world. Wait a minute. You know what? You know, and, yeah. you know, and just all these kind of what you take for granted just starts to go out the window, all these constructs of self and world. And, and you just start to realize, well, we live in a much more mysterious reality process than, yeah, we appreciate and, yeah for sure. uh, <laughs> very very much so yeah it's uh i mean we especially when i i think that in in some societies where psychedelics are a little more commonplace uh in and say a hunter-gatherer society where growing up maybe you're hearing about these experiences and so maybe you're able to sort of imagine a little bit just because they they are very normal uh and then when you and then you have like this coming of age ritual um where in many places you do some psychedelic and have this very intense experience and that's very different than what we go through which is (laughs) yeah which our our consciousness is constructed very stubbornly over uh a long time and it has there's there's this kind of very strict framework in place of our modern society if you're say in america of exactly what what reality is and it's it's like it's it's um i'm sure in every society it's kind of forced upon you but uh but with our public education system and everything else it's like such a large general consensus of of like we know exactly what reality is and you get the money and then you can have more things with the money is basically our perception of what consciousness is um and figure out how to get more of that so you can have more things Mm -hmm. um like we we just grow up to be bigger children and then one day you eat a bunch of mushrooms and see some weird like math and (laughs) or some like odd colorful force that you are completely not separate from and are creating and is creating you at the same time and uh it's a lot to wrap your head around yeah no totally right we have no context or or heads up uh, (laughs) at all Right. And like you, you, and you're, well, you thought you were going to a party to dance or something. And all of a sudden, <laughs> no, actually, you're going to die five times and see God, you know, and it's like, yeah, it's not, not ideal. But, um, yeah. So hopefully as a society, we, we, uh, can, you know, figure out, you know, kind of like Aldous Huxley and Island, like a sequel to Brave New World, where he envisioned like a utopian kind of society where like at the age of 18, like the young were, you know, like other indigenous traditions, uh, you know, were ritually initiated via, with a powerful psychedelic medicine, but in a intentional way that, you know, pre- properly prepared. And then the set and setting, which is you know, all important, 
was, uh, you know, appropriate to kind of optimize, you know, successful, deep experiences that really helped transition, um, you know, major life, uh, I guess, maturation and adulthood and, and, and whatever, which, you know, I think we all have within, especially in the psychedelic realm, have had powerful initiations, but often pretty messy. And like, you know, I was borderline schizophrenic after some of my really intense ones and, yeah. you know, desperately trying to make sense of, you know, not having any context and having people coming at me with all kinds of stuff, you know, like, Oh, the dolphins are running the show and, you know, <laughs> we're about to go through the galactic blah, blah, you know, and I yeah. really, okay. You know, I don't know. I mean, I'll, you know, I mean, like, I mean, it's, but you know, when you realize like our consensual reality is just so trivial and there's a such deeper realities, but yeah. So, but anyways, I mean, there are wise guides out there and, you know, eventually you figure them out and hopefully collectively we are, starting to transmit more real wisdom on the subject um well as yeah as someone who just uh, had to had to take a little break and got seven days of of uh uh treatment in a uh uh in a psych ward i i now have to find myself being like well you can go a little overboard although a lot of my ideas were still fantastic i just didn't sleep for many weeks but now i can look back on them and what i wrote and i'm like oh that wasn't crazy it was just crazy compared to what we normally experience and i i just feel like the longer the longer that we live in in this uh in in this uh uh imposed reality the the more of us uh, <laughs> the more than when you do something like ayahuasca or whatever it is just such a jarring slap in the face mm-hmm. especially um when you have to cause it's like a very dramatic form of therapy and i learned that you have to relive every time like i had to relive every time i'd ever like misjudged someone <laughs> or talked bad about somebody or yeah and that is uh hellish uh and and something that i don't think a lot of people are ready for but then at the same time i look around the world i'm like well everyone's already having a mental breakdown like this whole country like if you just put america in a therapist's office a therapist would be like oh yeah you need treatment (laughs) immediately um so yeah. And, and, you know, and, and what you're just saying, like, um, like in some ways, you know, the religious, you know, when, when you kind of free the dogma and, uh, and the, um, you know, like, I get, you know, like I think the problem with religion is they make idols out of their beliefs and rituals. And, and, but when you look at it in a more fluid way, then, and, and open, then they are talking about this realm of experience and, and, you know, these really deep spiritual, you know, like the, like the moral inventory, like the deep soul searching, you know, just scathing, whoa, man, you know, just going through it and feeling deep shame and yeah, but then like, purging I through it. Yeah. You might yeah. not believe in like hell and like a demon poking you in a fiery thing, but there's something way worse. Mm-hmm. And it's every time you fucked up in life coming back at yeah. you, yeah. Uh, like when you brought harm to others or like everyone that you ever bullied when you were a kid or like any, like that's. That's the hell when you have to like re-experience that. And then you have to find ways to forgive yourself for it and how to do better in the future, which is tricky. 
Yeah, man. That's so. I mean, that's. A, I mean, it's a kind of classic born again kind of. I mean, this is it. You know, to live you must die. You know, I was like, oh, okay, wait a minute. I kind of understand what that totally didn't make any sense before. You know. Yeah, yeah. But you know, but then and you realize like, but people are saying it really don't know what they're talking about. You know, like right. you know, you gotta like, yeah. I mean, not obviously some people do, but generally, you know, I think a lot of it is pretty superficial and. Young Carl Jung would say a lot of organized religion is man's systematic attempt to avoid God, you yeah. know, by putting superficial kind of whatever. Yeah, um, I I still like now now that I've had what I feel like is like uh, more more and more like a spiritual awakening ish sort of thing. I look at organization as like or organized religion as like putting truck nuts on, on on spirituality you know it's like almost making a joke out of it like my like my spiritual it's like taking spirituality like my and god is bigger than like your a, god. a monster yeah. truck or something i don't yeah. know yeah my god is bigger than your god kind of ridiculousness but um um but yeah but you know i i mean i do feel like there is you know, I mean, you know, the Good Friday experiment. I mean, I think that there is um, real opportunity to connect with, you know, like kind of faith, you know, what's to say, you know, more rigidly locked in adherence of different faiths and like they can have these experiences and can interpret them within their religious context. But would generally be much more open, you know, like understanding like, wait a minute, you know, like, you know, like be appreciative of, of other paths and other ways of unpacking these experiences because like what the way that these, their, the meanings will be so much more open and deep and penetrating than they ever imagined. And like for myself, so, I mean, like one of my, in one of my kind of big initiator, initiatory experiences was with LSD and MDMA in a gay trans club in Amsterdam. And, you know, I, died a couple of different ways but I, I remember uh you know one of them was you know just challenging god like you know um you know hey you know like you know rape and violence and murder and all that you know i'm dancing right now you know what's up you know why why is that going down you know and you know first having um you know just being microscope kind of like job like into the storm like just the self is doing is the self and there's no explanation it's just you don't even who are you to even whatever it's just, it is you know it is what it is and but then seeing a vision of, of jesus like kind of over there like with his back to me but just like like not trying to explain it or or justify it but just stepping up and being cool and rad and, and wanting to help and i'm like dude i want to be like that and i want to be that guy you know yeah you know so in, in like in a way like just like yeah just having uh, a new appreciation of like the mystical core of, of these religious traditions. And you just have, if you, in the, um, somehow, like, hopefully, you know, that can be a window into the larger kind of cultures and, and break these fundamentalisms. Like, you don't have to, like, toss them completely out. You just need to radically, you know, in a way, just enter them, like, super deeply. Yeah. And, and, you know, get rid of the ridiculous, you know, you know, but predation didn't exist till. Adam ate the apple or whatever. And the right. lions and the, and the tigers got together and, kicked it you know or whatever but yeah i i got i got some things recently about how uh yeah just being more more chill about i saw i saw like a uh, right before ayahuasca ceremony i saw this this group of people that just like 
set up to like spread the word of Jesus or whatever, but everyone was just sitting around having lunch outdoors in Boulder. And then they just set up and started screaming at people that they were all going to hell. Right. And I was like, but that's not at all what Jesus acted like according to, yeah. you know, like, please don't yell your, <laughs> your spirituality at me. And maybe I, and then I was like, maybe I do the same thing sometimes when I'm like, you need to believe this. Yeah, no, definitely. That's, that's a good point for sure. Yeah. And I've kind of got a little more, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still like, what I, I don't, I'm not, as I guess, uh, how do you say Priscilla, you know, on my soapbox about it, but mm. more just subtle and, and I'm on it. I mean, that's my number one passion project. But it's like, how do you spread that good news in a way that's, you know, not like lame and, and disrespectful for sure. I kind of think that uh, I had a, I had sort of a vision that um, much like in a lifespan, you kind of develop and you learn empathy later on as you go and uh humanity kind of goes is going through the same thing continues to grow and learn and like humanity didn't always um care for other animals and that sort of thing and uh and and it's, it's actually becoming humanity itself is becoming less violent just like humans usually get less violent after like the teenage years and whatnot and you get older. And I was, I kind of think that, uh, that, um, whatever the, the cosmos or whatever kind of are going through that same development and learning, uh, like a, like a global, like a global awakening. And I think, I think you're right. I think definitely. And if you look at in geological time scale, I mean, what's happening from the last, you know, hundred generations, 10,000 years. And it's like a blink of an eye and some, some collective mind, moral awareness, you know, is awakening through us. And we're like, you know, neurons in this much bigger mm-hmm. awakening for sure. And hopefully we awaken in time to not <laughs> screw it all up. I know. So, that's, yeah. that's the worry you get down and like i see it now i i know how we can all treat each other better yeah but will people understand before we all blow ourselves up we are we are at this really uh tipping point of like we have this amazing technology that will that could end us all or we could all uh or free us all or save us uh, who knows right it's uh <laughs> Who knows? We yeah, man. It's an exciting ride for sure. And and I remember I, I had a I remember I was like on LSD once, and I had this grand. I was like, "That's what evil is," and everyone's like, "What?" You know, and I was like, "Uh, to not be nice." You know, <laughs> you're like, "What?" You know, I thought I was gonna like give us some deep metaphysical whatever. And yeah, it's yeah. like no, you know. But it was like just like yeah, dude. If we could just all be, all be cool and you know whatever, but. No. Yeah. I had uh I I had kind of a thing about uh simul so in a way this is a simulation sort of or or le- just playing around with that idea. The thing simulating it. So so when we when we play we make these simulations, we make these video games that we can first have fun with and and at first you play like the hero. And then maybe after a while you play the enemy and then maybe there's a character that's like kind of the hero, kind of the enemy. And then if 
you eventually get bored with playing these games. You need to play different characters within the games. And then eventually you end up playing the characters that you harmed in previous versions of that. And that teaches you that like you didn't you there's no way you could comprehend the harm that you were doing before you actually had to live it and feel it. And that sometimes is what a trip is like. (laughs) Yeah. No, for sure, right? Yeah, that's uh, until yeah, all the different roles and uh, yeah, and, and yeah, violent and and exploitative and oppressive dynamics, be both the oppressor and the oppressed, and and, and you know, and but then experience love and and break on through, and you know, and then ideally, like you say, like you know, we're all in a choose your own adventure situation, and it's like, do you choose the kind of be out in front trying to make it better and you know be chaotic good or or whatever i am but uh yeah you know but or you know kind of sell out to the machine and and you know just kind of make your livelihoods apologizing for the status quo and and just make you know and make you know and there's just all kinds of w- w- subtle ways and that we do that on all of us right there is not you know one or the other you know there's no person who's totally you know up for the light and someone who's totally from the dark you know it's a we're all mixed. Yeah. And, but yeah, just trying to like be more on the side of light and, 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 and searching yourself and using like daily cannabis meditation is definitely a help of like, you know, it's not, oh, dude, you're being lame. That's like not cool and whatever, you know, but you don't want to go too far down that because that can be unproductive too. You want to appreciate life and all that, but it is a tool of, of keeping you on the higher life or the higher path. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I, yeah, I, this is a, I'm glad I'm talking to you. These are all ideas that I've been like, okay, what, because part of it is, um, uh, you know, okay, so I'm going to take on this mission to, uh, help and go out to inform people in kind of a fun way to get people to change their perspective a little bit. Not, not be like, Hey, have this perspective. Just be like, Hey, free yourself from some of your old perspectives to allow yourself the opportunity to, to notice new possibilities is all just, it's, it's really easy to get into the ritual of life. And some of us are caught in rituals that we don't even, in these bad habits that we don't even realize that we have. I think all of us, in fact, uh, and I should know as someone who has had lots of bad habits in life. Um, and, and then it's, it's so tricky because then, then I go, Oh, who the fuck are you to like, (laughs) think you're changing the world or whatever. And then, and then I'm like, Oh, why not? Who cares? Like, at least, at least it's, if, if you can make like a little bit of difference here and there in, in, um, what you can convince yourself of as a positive direction, even if it's flawed, at least it's. A lot of life is about finding kind of the placebo that works for you anyway. So if you can combine, find a convincing enough story of like, I'm going to do good, it's, it's at least enough to motivate you. And within that, um, this world that can sometimes be frustrating might change and get a little better uh, in that process and be a little easier to live in. Yeah, I mean that's all absolutely true and correct, and and I think you know definitely um, checking yourself and, and and you know on whatever hubris and whatever la- you know lameness that we can get uh, you know uh, in trying to make the world better. But 
you know, in really being sincere about it, it you definitely start meeting people and resonating and things seem to, you know, just kind of happen. The synchronicities start going down and, you know, they're just, I think there definitely are forces in the world kind of in favor of more liberation and, you know, more love, more, mm-hmm. you know, it can, you know, in the midst of all this absurdity and suffering and, you know, it can seem like, oh, that's ridiculous. But, you know, when you're in it and you're doing it or trying once in a while to be, you know, have integrity and, and, and do it correct and, um, yeah, it just you know you're like wow, you know you just there's some bigger forces that kind of yeah in play and you know so it is. I have been I've definitely been like picking up on things like oh just just right in the nick of time. So I'm like I get a call or something like weird happens and I'm like what the hell? Like I just came to some idea about you know doing something where I can be more helpful to people and then I'll get a call from someone that can exactly help me do that you know yeah man and and i feel like increasing kind of like the Tao, you know like the way you know like it's like that it's somehow trying to feel you know it's like a hot cold like mm-hmm. you know kind of being on path and be off path and and just feeling and then like kind of knowing you're on path is like those kind of things are happening you know it's like definitely a validation of of um you know like that you're kind of steering the ship in, in a, in a good direction. Yeah. I realized you don't have to it like anyone can listen to this, uh, something build a science podcast be like, well, this is very uncharacteristic, uncharacteristically woohoo or whatever. Um, but this is one of the things that I learned from my, uh, my, uh, psych ward experience, which is when I was like really, because I hadn't slept in forever and I was really paranoid that like everyone was after me and everyone was against me. And so, which when you're really paranoid to then go into a facility that's covered with cameras right. everywhere and like people with clipboards monitoring yeah, your every move. Like, yeah. But that's what I thought was happening. And now yeah. it definitely is happening right in front of my face. And it drove me way crazier. Yeah. Um, but when things started turning around was when I, um, you know, if I was like getting coffee or whatever, cause I was still like writing like a madman. Um, and, uh, when I, when I started cleaning up after myself a little bit, I started feeling a little better and then I, I'd see a mess and I'd start like cleaning up after some of the other, um, people, some of the other patients or whatever in there. And then, um, and then rather than, like, oh, if I if I talk to one of the staff, how are they going to interpret what I say? And then they're going to tell someone and they're going to confound my words and then it's going to make me seem crazier and then I'm going to be in here forever. And and I just let go of that and I was I would just ask the staff. I was like, how can I help? If they were like handing out food or whatever, I was like, can I help you with that? Can I hand out some of that food? Um, yeah. And then I started helping some of the other inmates or whatever you call uh, <laughs> Yeah, um, as well. And, uh, once I just started helping everybody, uh, the doors just opened right, right up for me. So it right was, on. it was, uh, definitely a metaphor about if you want to, if you want to do well in this asylum of life, uh, just help people. No, right on, man. And that's, that's it. I mean, like I, some of my most amazing psych- psychedelic experiences have been, you know, complete paranoid universes, but you know, making these life and death decisions in very moral ways that, you know, it's like, okay, you know, like in just blasting through into like, 
amazing experience of the love and grace and light but like yeah and that and that kind of being the way forward you know like you know and um um and actually my granddad there's a story an apocryphal story of a of a lady calling my granddad my granddad would had like 10 phones and you could call him any time of the day or night he'd, he'd wake up drop on a line and i guess a lady called up like you know just like i look in the mirror i just see a black hole of despair um i, I was just about to end it all but I, I saw the number on the bottle or so but i just gave you a call and my granddad's uh says uh, uh clean your house and call me back click you know <laughs> and you know so uh so the story goes that you know she was like what and but cleans her house and you know a couple hours later calls my granddad back and is like totally grounded out out of the immediate crisis and then he talks to her for the rest of the night mm. and and there's a letter that she sent um you know just really thanking my granddad it was after he died you know just recounting the story and mm. and um you know I, I'm, I'm sure this violates the suicide hotline 101 you know probably i'm not advising anyone to necessarily do that but uh say that but it definitely worked in this case and to your point like you know just getting out of the whatever and like hey it doesn't matter i'm gonna just focus on the you know bringing order to my immediate environment and being helpful and cool and just like that just brings you know just settles those energies down and can just ground out you know in a way that's kind of like zen in a way maybe they're dealing with a lot of these energies too and that monastic discipline is probably a lot about not keeping you when those kundalini energies are awakening and you're starting to get you know spun you know just grounding it bringing it back you know well even even looking at it on a very grounded level people when when people kind of quote-unquote lose it uh, a lot of times there's a lot of ocd behavior or like a lot of like numerology and a lot of patterns that you know it's it's this crippling like uh um i i was going through a bit of this like oh green means something and and orange means something else and purple is a very meaning but like i'm not sure i can trust purple right like putting together these patterns and uh so so i i was sitting there trying to like change the laws of physics with my mind and putting together formulas uh to like get me out of here and then but if instead you can take that kind of ocd because it's when you're taking action on something it just makes you feel better um but if you're just turning it inward then that's it's not going to get you out of there very fast, uh, or or it can just be more destructive. So to kind of turn it outward and start cleaning your house or exercising yeah. or helping others is uh, is a way out. How do you go from uh, I've, uh, how do you, how do you transition from having these um, big kind of like spiritual reawakenings from a psychedelic experience? Uh, pause for a second. No, I don't. I need to turn off. Okay, sorry about that. Let me go like. How do you go? I, I was very rude just now, but I don't answer that phone ever. <laughs> uh, no problem. That was God calling, by yeah. the way. And he just hung up on him. For my podcast. I'll call you back later. <laughs> so, how do, you, how do you go from these huge, deep experiences to then navigating the in and out of of uh running uh uh yeah you know i mean i think you know the initial aftermath of of these experiences i think um 
you and, and anyone who's had them, I mean, it was definitely a big process of trying to reconcile, you know, the everyday life with, with, you know, these kind of massive experiences that, you know, you know, just kind of show like, you know, this is really, you know, so much more going on and this is trivial and ridiculous. This consumer, you know, you go into a store and all, you know, you got just, you know, consumers, materialist culture and you're watching advertisements and watching adult human beings, you know, why are those adults doing that? But, you know, so, but of course this reality with all its absurdity and in ridiculous consumers, capitalist lameness and whatever mm-hmm. is also incredibly miraculous and amazing and, but, uh, you know, but I, you know, on, on some level, I'm appreciative of, I guess, in Hinduism, there's a, the concept of Maya and our daughter's name is Maya. And there's different levels of that. And, um, there's, um, the, um, like the original term meaning in, in before kind of the patriarchal kind of transition was a, like the female creative power or the feminine creative power of God, like Shakti mm. and in the, in the, the creative power in, in the world of form. But, you know, then it became like the veil of illusion or like, you know, like the, the, this illusory world of phenomenal reality that keeps us from the true light and reality. And then, you know, but, you know, and that like you, you, that the whole point of existence is to escape from this, like, you know, meaningless, endless rebirth in this like meaningless reality. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think that, you know, there is something really, you know, awesome and miraculous about it. And, and that the principle of like, like that this reality doesn't just blow open like i don't step in because you know i'm in you know k dimension of you know multi-dimensional <laughs> buddha whatever you know it's, I'm, I'm, i appreciate the that thing is kind of keep together and and I, and I think it's it's um you know and just being grateful for you know like just home and friends and and business and just you know having like a little more of a maybe a light take on it all although it's like deadly serious you know of course and important to exert effort to make things better and negotiate your life with integrity and all that but i guess you know also knowing like whoa you know yeah. on some level it's like, like you got to get in there sometimes and like nudge the timeline so we don't like blow all ourselves up or like, <laughs> like spend enough time in there to like guide it and and go back in time to to reset the codes <laughs> like that's what it feels like sometimes when i'm when i'm in some like spiritual space or whatever like this very important task and then i come back and i'm like okay i did that now remember to have a little bit of fun <laughs> yeah no absolutely man i mean it's like okay so like here we are on spaceship earth you know orbiting the star that you know and like the star planetary you know i mean these worlds and there's many of them you know infinite worlds and what you know and so here we are engaged on it to do yeah to work hard and do our work but yeah to, then to just have fun and you know laugh and well yeah. i think that we need to get back to just like sitting around the campfire uh you know a little more often yeah, and, uh, turning off the TV, stopping uh, getting information from the news, which is just like them yelling scary things into a camera because they're scared for their jobs, right. and uh, <laughs> like, like they're just projecting their fears about losing their paycheck into a camera to imagined people that they, you know, like I work on the road and I like meet the people that like watch watch news and like people making the news have they're like completely separate from these people like have no idea mm. and uh and but that's and people are just addicted to that and it's just this weird passive one-way communication that people are just taking in all the time 
And more than anything, I would love just for people to, that's what I like about podcasts because we can just sit here and have a philosophical conversation. Now, if you liked this, you can do it yourself and like go and sit around a fire with some of your good friends and have philosophical conversations. I think the world would be a better place if people were just sitting down, chilling out yeah, and having man. conversations. No, absolutely. And around the fire. I mean, that's like, you know, deep, like, you know, just we've been doing that. Humanity has been doing for that long, for a long time. time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's pretty beautiful. And I think amazing. we, I think every time we lose our way, we need to get back to that a little bit. That's where we started coming up with all these ideas in the first place of, of constructing these new realities for ourselves. And sometimes we need a little to, yeah, the elemental back. Yeah. yeah. Like that creative, just source life source. Yeah. And, uh, and then when you smell like fire and you're dirty and you got to go back to work on Monday, you can wash yourself up with Dr. Bronner's self every day, everybody. I, uh, I knew this was going to be such a fantastic episode because I knew my listeners were going to be like, why, why is there, why is he doing a podcast about soap? And now, now they know the same thing that I had to figure out, which is like, oh, no, this isn't just about soap. This is about something much bigger. Right on. No, thank you. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Uh, and thank you, listeners, uh, for tuning in and being such wonderful, curious people. So each week I have the guest plug a nonprofit of their choice. And so I, I already know <laughs> from experience what you're going to uh, be plugging. Yeah, right on. So, you know, the uh, uh, Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, MAPS, uh, maps.org, uh, is doing incredible work integrating psychedelics responsibly into culture generally and has uh, now a very direct, clear path to integrating MDMA for treatment-resistant PTSD with the breakthrough status. I'm yeah. not sure I've said that on the podcast. I don't think I told listeners because they've been following the story, but they don't know that. Uh, FDA just granted breakthrough yeah. status. So that's huge. And the calculus FDA uses is you have great unmet need and, uh, and, and high efficacy. So it's, it's a real uh, just imprimatur of, of the FDA showing that we just fund these phase three studies to the tune of about $20 million. Mm. Um, and in five years, MDMA will be a prescribable medication for treatment resistant PTSD and also can be prescribed off label for other conditions, anorexia. Um, you know, it's, it's all couples counseling, you know, all kinds of things we know MDMA is great for. And in addition, once this happens and once FDA approves MDMA as well as psilocybin, which is going through in parallel driven by USONA and Hefter and, we also give money there and endorse them. Uh, like once the FDA approves, that's going to just really remove the stigma that's been really holding things back. You're going to have much more traditional foundation and funding sources, governmental pouring into psychedelic medicine. So it's just really this activation barrier we're in right now. Just, you know, funding these phase three studies for MDMA and psilocybin is just going to, you know, once we're on the other side of that, it's just going to really open it up and we just need to all throw down as much as we can. Yeah, you guys threw down five million. Yeah, right on. And so, yeah, we just need a you know putting the money right, where the mouth is. Twelve more, and and actually the seven like we have a target of seventy five million is the overall raise, not just for Maps, but for Hefter and for Usona, and those those are our comrades uh, uh, putting it psilocybin through, and and 
and not just for phase three, but also for all the phase two studies so that once it's approved, we can maximize off-label impact and, you know, have the studies done on alcoholism and nicotine and smoking cessation. I just quit drinking and smoking. Not that I, not that people need to quit drinking, but I needed to. Yeah. Uh, I gave it up for a year here. I'm got to, yeah. Yeah, man. (laughs) <laughs> that's a good to take breaks for sure yeah and uh psilocybin it was uh, the only way i was able to do that right on so we're yeah we're we're i'm actually part of a funding group called ps75 and the idea is that it's not about maps versus usona and hefter it's all one we're on one page here and um so i said maps because i'm on the board but we're uh, you know as passionate about the usona hefter efforts and supporting them because it's about not MDMA versus psilocybin, but MDMA and psilocybin yeah. as both incredible medicines, and also about th- these are the ones that are going to break us through to integrating, you know, ibogaine for opiate addiction, and you know, all the rest of these incredible allies. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, the downside is is that I'll go from doing this cool, edgy show about psychedelics to it now being commonplace, so my act will be rather boring once I... Oh, yeah, yeah, Shane, we all know about the purple dancing gypsy lady in the, in the car- yeah, yeah. hologram carnival that controls the universe. Like, we've all we've all seen... Your tales are no longer <laughs> thrilling, yeah. but I'll think of something else to talk about. Well, no, we'll right on. Yeah, we'll figure we it out. There. <laughs> right on, man. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Next week on the Here We Are podcast. Despite all my rage, we'll be talking about rats in a maze. <laughs> that is, that's the dorkiest thing I've ever said into a microphone. Still keeping it. Make sure and check me out on patreon.com slash Shane Moss. I'm bearing all, getting real personal. I'm, I'm working up the courage to share all my DMT experiences on there so you can be a part of of hearing me put together my DMT show, which I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to tour with it. I've been in a holding pattern trying to get a good trip made into a special, so kind of waiting to find out what happens with that before I know um, whether I can do a tour with the DMT show, and and, uh, it's, it's always a little hard figuring out the marketing for any of these new shows. One thing you can do to help is, if you haven't yet, please download the Laughable app, on your iPhone, it'll be coming to Android eventually as well. But if you have an iPhone, Laughable app is the best way to listen to comedy podcasts. And make sure if you do already have it downloaded, make sure that you're utilizing it to its full potential. And subscribe to me, Shane Moss, and you can hear anytime I'm a guest on other podcasts. Um, it'll pop right up in your feed, but more importantly for what I am uh, talking about as far as touring goes, they are working toward putting together. So when I'm, uh, when you listen to the here, we are podcast and you're in Ohio or wherever you may be, um, it will, if I tour through that area, it will pop right up in the laughable app and let you know that I'm coming to the area. That's something that's going to be crucial for me to figure out how to get butts in the seat. It's always, uh, you know, there's there's always um, plenty of people that would like to come out to a show, but reaching them, letting them know where and when and all that good stuff is always a really big challenge. So that's one huge thing that you could do to help me out. Thanks to Ramin Nazer 
for uh, for everything he does for the Here We Are podcast, putting together the website and everything else. Make sure and check out his Cave Paintings for Future People book. And thanks to Jimmy Fro of the Jimmy Fro podcast for editing this podcast. And uh, you're listening to the music underneath this outro is a band called Spirit of the Bear. Check out Jimmy Fro podcast for more cool indie music talk to you next week those of you that listen all the way to the end you are of course my favorite I'm Dave Ross. Hey, and I'm Hampton Yunt. And we host Suicide Buddies on Starburns Audio. That's right. It's a podcast about suicide, but not to make light of it. We actually talk about suicidal thoughts, depression, kind of with a sense of levity that Dave and I have with each other. He's my best friend. Come on. Yeah, we're buddies. <laughs> suicide Buddies. <laughs> That's the title. One of our favorite episodes that we've recorded so far is about this guy, Jan Pataki, who was a Polish aristocrat in the 19th century, mm-hmm. and he uh, one of the reasons... It's possible that he killed himself <laughs> is that he thought he was a werewolf. Oh. Check out a clip. It also makes me think, like, we were talking about in the Norway uh, black metal episode, how, like, 
just the culture of your surroundings can affect you. Like yeah. he's in a castle in Poland. He's like, I mean, if yeah. you lived in a castle in Poland and no one knew anything about anything, you might be like, I'm a bat. I'm probably a bat. <laughs> 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 That's like literally what happened to Batman. <laughs> he literally is in his mansion. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm a, a bat. bat. I'm a bat. I'm a <laughs> bat. I'm a, I'm I'm a bat. bat that helps people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bat that helps people. I'm a, I'm a rich... I don't know what you want from me. And uh, my, and my a... girlfriend, she's a cat. She's a cat. My she, girlfriend's she, a cat. She steals things. She's a woman who steals things. She's a cat. I'm a bat. I'm a bat. I help people. She's a cat. We fight a penguin. My. Uh, my... <laughs> 